have the Bible readings for today. We come to a time of Bible reading. Today's passage is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 28. If you do not, need, uh, if you do not have a, a hard copy and you need one, please raise your hands and our ushers will hand one to you. Before I read, let's come to God in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you, Father, for this Bible, your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth in it. And we thank you, Father, for, for this time where you will teach us. We ask that you calm our hearts and our minds and remove all distractions and help us to, to hear, to hear from you. And you also uh, anoint the lips of Pastor Matt as he brings us your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these words are from Jesus. Um, and they are from his teaching on the Servant on the Mount. So reading from verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain will come, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as someone who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of God. All right, well, good morning, church. So good to be here. Uh, my name is Matthew Fong, one of the pastoral team here. And uh, we're going to be digging into a very famous little section of the Sermon on the Mount there together. So keep uh, your Bibles open there. Now, I really want to open with this thought about the world of fake things out there. Because we live in a world where you can really buy fake anything, you know, a fake designer bag, 
uh, fake jewelry, fake watches, fake cosmetics, fake electronics. And sometimes they're really easy to tell the difference. Sometimes they're really hard to tell the difference. Uh, this is one of my personal favorite fakes. The iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, you know, I don't know what they think. It doesn't look anything like me. I, don't, I really don't, don't get the deal. Uh, uh, I really should have gotten one of those, really. It's, it looks like a good, good product, for sure. Uh, you know, fake everything these days. Fake iPhone. Uh, you might have heard of the world of deep fake videos. You know, AI Say Good now can produce a video that can look like someone and make them say things that they never said. So it's becoming a big issue when it comes to politics and the like. See, we're in a world of fakes. Anything that can be faked has been faked. Anything of value that can be faked. Anything that can influence or change people through fake uh, videos will be faked. So how do you tell the difference between the real and the fake? It's a very important skill, a very important thing to know the difference. Now, as we continue on in our series, follow me, the call to discipleship, this is a section that's really all about true and fake disciples. True and fake disciples. Now, it's a really fascinating way, that because this is actually really the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he finishes not with an inspirational story or a quote or a feel-good something or other. He ends with four stark warnings. They're black and white, two binary options, uh, right and wrong, real and fake, life and death. And he begins that, in a, and he finishes really that way just to clarify that as you've heard all that Jesus has heard, as you've heard him describe the, uh, the world of his kingdom and, and the disciple that belongs as part of his kingdom, he puts together a very stark choice between people now. Will you choose to follow me or not? This is what it looks like if you're going to follow me. This is what it looks like if you say you're following me, but you're truly not. See, read along with me, uh, chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So you can imagine someone standing there, two rows, two paths diverging in different directions. Jesus says something that's actually quite deeply offensive, I think, to our ears. He says that all the blessings of the kingdom will only be found by a few. And it's designed that way. The gate is narrow. The path is not big and broad and wide. No, the path to life is narrow and it's hard. It's exclusive. That means not everybody is going to find it. Now, I think Jesus is using quite a helpful little metaphor here, uh, the whole wide and narrow path thing, uh, because it's very human for us to always take the path of least resistance, right? The easiest path forwards, right? Uh, you think about it, right? It's always easier to kind of sit on the couch and just flip on the TV than it is to actually go out and get some real exercise. It'd be good for you. It's always easier to go to the pantry and grab something that's kind of quick and easy and unhealthy for you than it is to actually prepare something that's nutritious and, and going to actually be good for your body. It's always easy to sit at home and engage with people on social media through a chat thing or through a video game than it is to actually go out and spend genuine, good quality time with people in person. 
But if you consistently take the broad and the easy path in life, well, your body will wither, your relationships will suffer, and it will not go well with you. But here's another factor. Not only is the way, kind of the, the easy way is, is broad and easy to get onto and the, the narrow way is hard to find, but he actually says something else. He says that the broad path is the popular one. It's the one that's most well-trodden. It's the one that most people, you'll find them on. You won't find so many people on this narrow and hard path. You'll find many people, though, walking the path to destruction. Now, the most obvious way we kind of talk about that in our day and age, you talk a lot about peer pressure, you know, particularly on our teenagers, um, on our young adults, you know, the peer pressure to kind of want to belong, to go with the crowd, to kind of be part of culture, to conform. You know, it's very easy, much easier to kind of just go with the crowd, keep Jesus on the back burner or even stop following him completely. Now, there's a massive problem with the broad road, though, isn't there? The broad road leads to destruction. Jesus is talking about eternity here. It's not just about choosing healthier, unhealthy ways, uh, being swayed by the crowd towards drugs and alcohol. No, he's talking about life and death. And he says true disciples are those who would choose the hard path of following Jesus over joining the crowds and the flocks who are on their way to destruction. It's about choosing Jesus over culture. It's about choosing the way of the cross over seeking pleasure or comfort or popularity. And so he's asking the, the question, are you walking the way of Jesus? Are you resisting the temptation to kind of follow down the broad and the easy path? Because that's, well, it takes no effort to do that. But to follow his way, to walk the path of Jesus is narrow and it's hard and requires work, it requires dedication. It requires a willingness to swim against the tide of culture and popularity and of the people. So he's saying that it's hard. True disciples are walking the narrow and sometimes lonely path. Now, the second illustration, the second differentiation between true and false disciples is the question of, who do you follow? Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. See, Jesus goes on then to make the point that if true discipleship is about walking that narrow path, well, you need to be very careful about who's leading you on that path. Right? There are those who will lead you down the path of, of destruction and you may not even know it. They may even look like sheep. They may look like they're part of the flock, but they are pulling the wool over your eyes. That is a path to destruction and they will lead you down there if you follow. And so what Jesus says is he uses this illustration of two trees. You need to be able to distinguish between the two trees. One that produces good fruit, one that is destined for destruction, the bad fruit. And so the ultimate test to look at the people that you're following is what fruit are they bearing in their lives? What's kind of the result of their lives and of their teaching? 
And it'd be easy kind of to kind of put up the kind of, you know, prosperity preacher with shiny white teeth and, and, and expensive clothes and kind of go, oh, there's your false teacher. But I actually think Jesus is pointing out something more subtle than that. Pointing out the, the ways, the little subtle ways in which a false prophet or a false teacher can lead you down the garden path. The way that they might just kind of slightly follow after culture or politics, for example. Now, Jesus uses this kind of tree illustration um, another time, and it's actually kind of helpful to look at the other place where he does that in chapter 12. Uh, This is what he says there. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is recognized by its fruit. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in him. So you see what he's saying? He says, what matters is what's in your heart. Everything flows out from our hearts. See, the biblical concept of the heart is that the heart, it's not just sort of the center of our emotions, which is sort of the way that we might think about it today. It's actually really the controlling center of our inner being, okay? The center of our desires, the center of uh, our will, plans, decisions, everything comes out of our heart. And it's the seed of our deepest commitments. This is a really helpful quote from Timothy Keller, because he says that actually we always follow our heart, The only question is, which way is your heart following? He says this, he says, What the heart wants most, the mind finds reasonable, the will finds doable, and the emotions find uh, find desirable. Right? See, what the heart wants most tends to just determine everything else. Suddenly you find your will doing things. You can justify anything. And you find yourself just down this path if your heart is not in the right place, producing bad fruit. On the other hand, if, you, if your heart is in the right place, then it produces the good fruit, the fruit of the, the fruit that... Uh, we'll look at that actually in a second about the, the, the exact uh, idea of the fruit, but it's the good fruit that comes from a life that's rooted in Jesus, in Christ. You see, the problem with the Pharisees and the people that he's really dealing with is that they claim to be the leaders and the teachers of the people, and yet the fruit that they produced was this religion of pride and and superiority or self-righteousness, of hypocrisy, and ultimately of violence that had led the Pharisees and chief priests to persecuting and killing Jesus himself. But Jesus says the fruit that comes from being rooted in him is this. It's the godly virtues, relational harmony, a godly family, blessing, serving others, showing mercy and forgiveness, seeing the gospel go forth. That is the fruit that the Bible talks about, that is the fruit of a life that's rooted in Christ. Now, I have to say that it's sad to say that in our world that I even see this rising more and more. There are more people claiming the name of Jesus, yet spitting out the kind of nasty, mean-spirited kind of Christianity. Right? That is the bad fruit of legalistic religion, of the Pharisees. So Jesus is pointing this out as an examination, not just of ourselves, but actually particularly of our leaders, of our leaders, so yes, even as someone preaching you today, I'm asking you to say, well, it is worth examining the heart of your leaders, of my life, of those that we might want to elect as elders, as Ziggy was talking about earlier. And so 
that's important that you examine the lives of those that you appoint as your leaders, for your next future staff members, for, the, for our, our eldership board. And he's pointing out that we need to value character over charisma, to look at the quality of their marriage, family, relationships, that they're the same person privately as they are publicly, that they can resist the temptations to money, sex and power, that they're not a lone ranger, they can live under the authority of others, that the kinds of people that are produced by their leadership reflects Jesus. Now, this is a, uh, a hard thing for, um, uh, for anyone to kind of bear the burdens of that. And yet, this is the standard that Jesus uh, uh, holds up for leaders. But friends, that doesn't mean you're off the hook if you're not a leader, a pastor, or an elder. Uh, on the next part, he points out that actually, for everyone, it matters about the consistency of life and heart. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, church, I have to say that I think that this is probably the scariest passage in the Bible for anybody who calls themselves a Christian. Because you see the the point of what he was saying is that you can proclaim, you can say the right things, you can call upon the name of Jesus. You can do things in his name and see massive success in your ministry and have amazing spiritual gifting. And Jesus can still turn around to you and say, I never knew you. You know, church, I can't think of anything worse of having thought that you were in and to be told at the last minute that you were not. There is a self-deception, there's a power to deceive ourselves that is present in those that he talks about. Now, this is quite a tricky thing and it's something that we've got to think through quite carefully because he does say, well, what do they do? Well, they can call upon the name of Jesus. They call themselves Christian. They also do things even in Jesus' name. You know, I came across this video recently. Um, it was just a video of a series of celebrities kind of proclaiming, um, you know, really calling upon the name of Jesus, you know, calling themselves Christian and, and how that works in the, out of their lives. And a lot of big names there, you know, Chris Pratt, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Justin Bieber, uh, even the woman of the moment, Taylor Swift, calls herself a Christian in her Netflix documentary. And I think Jesus, though, is asking a hard question. It's a hard question for anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. Do they do the will of their Father? Now, I wanted you to actually have a chat to the person next to you for 60 seconds. What does Jesus mean by that? What's the difference between calling yourself a Christian and doing things, lots of things for God and actually doing the will of our Heavenly Father? Have a chat to the person next to you and see if you can uh, come up with some thoughts and ideas on that.
All right, I'm going to pull you up on those discussions. I'm sure you had lots of fascinating things to kind of explore there together. Now, I think as I kind of try to unpack this passage, what's going on there is that Jesus is pointing out the fact that you can kind of clip on any sort of fruit that you want onto your life, right? You can clip on the kind of outward trimmings of what it looks like to be Christian, proclaiming Jesus' name, professing to be Christian, uh, even doing things for Jesus. And I think he's pointing out that you can do all of those things without having a genuine relationship with Jesus. You can do all the external things. You can, you, know, you can call yourself a Christian. You can attend life group. You can serve on a serving team. You can have a testimony even and not actually have a genuine relationship with Jesus. You see, I think this is his point, right? True disciples have a real and living relationship with Jesus from which that obedience flows. That just profession, just ministry, success, just the external trippings aren't enough on itself. And so he's asking us some really hard questions about our own life, about our walk with Jesus. Do we spend time with him? Are we in his word? Are we praying to him? Do we have a daily sense in which God is involved in your life, a sense of his presence and work for you? Or is it something that's kind of like, well, it's easier just to kind of focus on the doing part of things and to actually spend time with God. And I think if you do that for long enough, you may end up being the Christian who rocks, rocks up on that last day. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Friends, this is a very, very sobering thing to come face to face with. And it's a really challenging thing. Now, I don't think that Jesus is here trying to undermine our assurance, okay? But I think he is trying to challenge us on something important. It's important to cultivate and to look after your relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to just get busy with the doings of ministry. And that could be a word for some of us who are so heavily involved in, in church life that you never get to spend time with God for yourself. It's a challenging thought. Well, after a lot of searching, Jesus gives us one final question. And that is, will your faith stand the test of time? Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now you see that Jesus, again, he's putting up two binary options there, a house built on rock and a house built on sand. Uh, both of them, you recognize, you've got to recognize both of them hear Jesus' words, Okay. Both of them hear Jesus' words, but only one of them puts it into practice. One of them walks that narrow road working hard to kind of live out all of that that Jesus talked about. And the one on the shifting sand also hears Jesus' words, but doesn't really build a life around him. Right, that could be you. If you're the kind of superficial Christian, you sat in church, but you don't really have anything much to show for it. That those words that Jesus has spoken have had very little actual genuine shaping force in your life. And on that judgment day, 
all will be revealed. See, again, Jesus is asking us to examine our heart. What's going on? Is your heart just rooted in worship and joy and forgiveness and you live a relationship with Christ that brings you to obedience and you build your life around, you want to serve him with your time and talents and your treasure and you're living it out, done out of your joy and out of your relationship with him. That is a house built on rock. That is a house in which the waves and the, the sufferings of life will come along and it will rock you, but it will not bring you down. On the other hand, the one with the superficial foundation built on sand is the one who will, when the, the waves of life come across and life gets busy or life gets hard, it all comes crumbling down. And those words of Jesus carry little weight for you. Now, I watched a really fascinating video this week uh, from a guy called Andrew Huberman. Is anyone, anyone familiar with Andrew Huberman? He's a very famous Harvard neuroscientist, maybe actually the most famous one in the world right now, uh, very famous on social media. He kind of spends most of his time making social media videos about kind of how to optimise your body and your brain, uh, uh, things like, you know, getting up early, getting some sun, putting your phone away, having, having cold exposure, all this sort of stuff that, you know, floats around social media. A lot of that actually comes from him and his research and the stuff that he's done. And, and so he spends his time kind of making videos really about sort of how to optimise your life, how to biohack your body so you can kind of live a good life. But recently, actually, he started, uh, he started kind of exploring some as aspects of spirituality. He says he's actually been reading the Bible a lot. And this is what he had to say. He said, when you start to study and understand brain development or neuroplasticity or dopamine, you have to step back and just go, wow, wow. And I'll go on record to say that I believe in God. I'm not the first scientist to say that. We're not in control of ourselves as much as we think we are. And I'm convinced that if we don't believe in something bigger than ourselves, we will self-destruct. So I think that's a really fascinating thing to hear from someone whose whole life and career has really been built around helping people on the superficial level, you know, just doing things to kind of optimise and strengthen your body and do all of that stuff. And he says, actually, when he steps back and as, if, as he looks at the marvel that is the human body, he can't not see God in that. And then as he can't not see God in that, he realised, well, actually, I don't think you can do life without God, without it falling apart, without you self-destructing in some way. And so what he's saying is really what Jesus is saying, that if you build your house on just kind of the good things of life and doing whatever without God, well, that life will eventually fall apart. It won't withstand the things of life and struggles that may come along. See, friends, Jesus, as he preaches to his crowd and as he continues to bring his word to us today, is really asking a really hard choice of us, isn't he? He is asking whether your life is founded on him. He is asking whether you are walking the narrow road, the hard road. Or are you following after the ways of the world and building your life on things that will crumble? See, friends, the true disciple is this. The true disciples are the ones who walk the hard and the narrow road with the right motivations, with a real relationship with Jesus, producing life-giving fruit over the course 
of a lifetime. That's what a true disciple is. See, he's asking, he's saying that your heart matters, your obedience matters, the fruit of your life matters, and your perseverance to kind of do that over time matters. It's a hard road. It's not the easy path. It'd be easy to kind of just hear Jesus' words and superficially acknowledge him and to kind of keep going on and living and building your life on the, 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 the sands of this world. But he's inviting you. He's giving you a choice right here and now to follow him down the hard and the narrow path. And it's going to involve a complete transformation of who you are from the depths of your heart through the actions and your obedience and, and, and to do that not just for the next year or the next five years, but to do that for a lifetime. Friends, this is a hard and it's challenging. But this is life. And this is death. Now, friends, I don't know where you're at right now. Maybe you're just feeling a little bit distant from God. Maybe you're feeling like you're the one who knows that you're on that broad path and you've been kind of keeping Jesus aside. And there's a challenge there for you to really examine the, the way that you're going and where that road leads. Maybe you're here and you're actually just still investigating Jesus and you're kind of standing there looking at the two paths and just kind of going wondering... What's involved? What's that sacrifice going to look like if I do take that narrow path? Well, friends, the good news is this. As challenging and as difficult as this is, this is an invitation. This is an invitation. Jesus is challenging us hard, and he is pointing out the difference between life and death here. But you know what? Without Jesus... Without him, his life, his death, his resurrection, there is no narrow path. There is only a broad path to destruction. And so Jesus is inviting you onto his road to follow him down this narrow path on the path that leads to life. You know, church, the good news is that we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. In fact, this seminar that we have coming up on uh, this Wednesday might be one of the most important ones we do because it's the way in which we walk together, how we can help to, to shape and form each other, how we can actually help each other to have our hearts transformed, that we might find our true roots in Christ, and that that might issue into a whole life that is worth following Jesus, bearing fruit for the kingdom, coming from that living and active relationship with him. So I'd love for you to kind of come along. If you can't make it a Wednesday night, we do have a Friday morning uh, for some of the women as well, uh, if you can't make that. But friends, I, I want to issue the question that Jesus is issuing. It's time to choose which path you're on. The hard and the unpopular one. The one that involves deep heart change and obedience, not just profession. It's a question of our heart's true allegiance. So friends, I'm going to pray for us because this is a hard and stark passage for us and a challenging one for us. We're going to ask for Jesus' help as we make that decision. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Jesus' words and his invitation to us this morning. Lord, we know that there are many hard choices that we have to make in life, but no more important than this. And so we ask that you might do that work in our hearts.
by your spirit might it be living and active in us, turning us to accept and then walk that narrow road, to have our, our, our roots deeply uh, uh, wedded into Christ, that it wouldn't just be words and actions, but relationship with him, that those words that Jesus speaks to us today might, might profoundly, deeply change us, that our lives would be so grounded on him that we might have a lifetime of following him in spite of whatever suffering or persecution or hardship may follow. But Father, we ask that, knowing that our hearts are prone to wonder, that our hearts are prone to want to seek after the things of this world. But Lord, we ask this morning that you might help us to choose the, the narrow path of life in the way of Jesus, that we might see life in his name and eternity with you. And that as we get to those gates, you might say to us, welcome, good and faithful servant. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, why don't you spend a few moments uh, just praying and reflecting for yourself.